Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, the podcast for women in midlife and beyond. Here at Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we have on two new friends that we're really excited to talk to, Abby Greenberg and Maggie Sarachek, who are the authors of the Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide. And as a member of the Anxiety Sisters, I was just excited to talk to them and bond about similar anxiety symptoms and talk about their book. The book is coming out in September, and it's a great resource guide that talks about not only the brain and um, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, but it also talks about ways that we can have kind of a survival kit of things that we can do when anxiety starts to take over and when it becomes bigger and too invasive in our lives. So I thought the book was great. Bridget, you loved the podcast. I loved it. I love the podcast. It's the spin cycle with the Anxiety Sisters. And they have a, a lot of great guests. Um, and the book too just has so many different resources in it that you can use. And what I do, I also like about both of well, both of them, you know, have anxiety issues. And they they let you know that there is not a quick fix to this. They give you pointers on what to do when you are feeling anxious. And there's all kinds. There's there's physical things that you can do to help you. Some things may work for you that may not work for someone else, but there's things that can that you can do to help when you are feeling those feelings of anxiety uh, slip in. And I think it's also helpful because as someone who has suffered from anxiety most of my life, it's not enough to just say, well, learn how to breathe, learn how to meditate. They talk about why it helps. So you understand why people are saying that. And they also give you tools and tricks to do. You know, there are apps out there, there are different things, but someone just saying, well, breathe through it. It doesn't help the person suffering a panic attack or an anxiety episode. We want to know why that's going to help. So the fact that they explain that, they explain the parasympathetic nervous system is your rest and how to get to that point. It's just really helpful. And they even mentioned that the National Institute of Mental Health say that over 31% of adults in the U.S. will experience an anxiety disorder. So there are a lot of us out there. It should not be stigmatized. It should not be a taboo subject. And so let's get started with the conversation. Here we go, guys. Okay, welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, guys. Today we have on two great ladies, Abby Greenberg and Maggie Sarachek. They are the authors of the Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide, How You Can Become More Hopeful, Connected, and Happy. And let me just start by saying I'm a part of the sisterhood. I've had anxiety my whole life, even though when we were younger, I think they called it like type A personality and you were just, you know, an overachiever. But welcome, ladies, to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Us. Well, we're actually really excited about the conversation because like us, you also have a podcast. You're also women in your 50s. So we have a lot in common. And I guess my first question to you is, why did you write this book? Hmm. We wrote the book that we needed when we were going through the peak of our anxiety struggles, when uh, Mags and I have been anxiety sisters really since we were each children. Um, Although we're not real sisters, we're soul sisters. We met in college and, uh, you know, sort of went through all of our anxiety trials and tribulations together starting in college. And over the last 35 years, really learned how to manage our anxiety with each other. We were sort of a community of two in that regard. Uh, But we were looking for a book that 
you know, that sort of had that girlfriendish flavor to it. Like we wanted to sit down and chat with people about anxiety, but the books we were finding on the market were real, really clinical and very prescriptive and they, they a little scared us. I love how you, in your book, you mentioned you need to have a dab, your designated anxiety buddy. And I thought, I love it. Your book does have so much humor in it for a topic that can be really debilitating. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of humor in the book as well. Yeah, we didn't want to make this book anxiety-provoking because that's what we found, that we were reading stuff and we were extremely anxious as we were reading it. So we really wanted to make sure that this book um, had a little bit of humor and also had a lot of sort of practical things that people can do um, right now. You know, we didn't want it to, to be things that seem so overwhelming to do. Whatever level you're oh, at, yeah, mm-hmm. you can do that. You can do something. Well, you start off the book by talking a little bit about the secret sauce. So, can Maggie? Can you explain what are the three ingredients for the secret sauce? So, we start out the book talking about the secret sauce, um, and basically, our secret sauce is that in order to deal with your anxiety. And also, at the same time, to live sort of a happier life, you know, we have this secret sauce and you need three things. You need a sense of, um, you need to accept anxiety, right? Um, You need a, a sense of connection. So you need a sense of acceptance, of agency, of connection, um, in your life. And that, that basically is that sense of you being able to, when we say agency, we say like, you're able to make the decisions for yourself. Your anxiety is not making the decisions for you. You know, for so many of us, like who we see, where we go, what we do is determined by our anxiety. Um, And so really a sense of agency is saying like, no, I make the decisions, not my anxiety. My anxiety can come along, you know, but I'm in the driver's seat. Our special sauce, which we feel is sort of like chocolate, makes everything better. Um, So Maggie talked about agency and then we have acceptance and connection. Acceptance is sort of our philosophy that if you fight against your anxiety and try to stop it, you're actually going to make it worse. And we've all found that out the, the hard way, right? So it's counterintuitive because everybody says, oh my God, it's so awful. I have to make it stop. But if you take that approach and you fight against it, you're not going to win. What we pay attention to grows. So the anxiety will just get more entrenched. So acceptance is our philosophy of saying, you know what? I'm an anxiety sister. So chances are I'm going to experience some anxiety and I shouldn't be so shocked by that. A, a lot of us the anxiety gets worse for us when we spend time thinking, why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? What's going on? But for me and Mags, we often say to each other, well, we're anxiety sisters, so bound to have anxiety for any old reason. And that really does, that acceptance of anxiety being part of your life and then how to manage it so it doesn't manage you is really is really what we're looking to do in our book and in our workshops and, and in, in the ways that we help our, our other anxiety sufferers. And the connection piece, which you, you two know all about because your podcast very much is about connection, um, we, we consider that a treatment for anxiety, that we're a social species. Human beings need connection. And so 
that's why we created the Anxiety Sisterhood. We wanted there to be built-in designated anxiety buddies for everyone. Because even just saying hello to somebody or the words, I understand, or I felt that too, mm-hmm. are, those are such powerful healing words. And Mags and I have learned that when women come together and share their stories, magic happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I love too how your book really talks about this is not a quick fix thing. If you think you're going to do, if you're going to be cured by following a few steps, this is not a quick fix thing. And that it's, it's really living with it instead Mm -hmm. of, like you just said, getting rid of it all together. Um, It's living well with it. It's like learning that you can live well with it. I think that, you know, what Abby and I have come to there is that we're always going to be anxiety sisters. This is, it's hardwired into us. This is how we were born. This is who we are. This was how we were raised, whatever the reasons. And there's so many different reasons people have anxiety, but it does not have to dictate how big or how big our lives is going to be. It doesn't have to make our decisions. And so that's sort of where we've come to that. You're going to do it despite your anxiety and with your anxiety. So let's talk a little bit about the catalog you have. You call them the classic symptoms, the avant-garde <laughs> yeah. symptoms, the headbangers, which I thought was very funny. Yes. But can you talk a little bit about what you consider the classic anxiety symptoms? Well, the classics are the ones that people see them on TV or in the media, or it's the ones people talk about the most, right? The classic ones. So those are often like those cardiac symptoms that people have, you know rapid heartbeat and flushing and sweating and um, feeling short of breath or dizzy. Anything you'll see on a Bayer aspirin commercial. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. The the ones that make you want to call 911, you know, those are those classic ones, but also, you know, for many people, classic ones are stomach issues. Um, Various that would be yes. me. Yes, me too. I, you know, I like to say I feel everything through my stomach. So, um, you know, all the different things people get, dry heaving, nausea, diarrhea, whatever else. Everything from a Pepto-Bismol commercial. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's your pepto rela- Yes, making it relatable to the listeners. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What about um, the avant-garde? The avant-gardes are, like, we think of them as sort of like the exotic car collection, you know, because people think that they're not typical symptoms of anxiety, and they are, because we hear Mm -hmm. about them constantly, but they're not the ones that get, you know, get shown in movies or talked about on commercials as much. So those ones, you know, you get itching, um, what are some, oh, hives, itching, um, the jaw grinding. I know you said fatigue, sort of, you know, pretty much anything your body can do, any sensation it can create, any sound it can make, any fluid it can produce can all be a symptom of anxiety. A lot of people like things like, um, just for example, like things like, um, when you're in the doctor's office, you constantly feel like you have to pee, right? Because you're nervous. And so you got like, you constantly just think I have to go, I have to go pee. And like, people think, oh, that's just me. But no, that's a pretty common anxiety symptom. Mm-hmm. And we've, and we've heard some very interesting symptoms. And we've had one anxiety sister told us that when she's feeling anxious, she can feel 
when she swallows water, she can feel it go down her throat and through her. Into, like she feels the whole passage body. through her whole body. And we totally know she's, she's right. I mean, she's not making that up, but we've heard it from other people, but it is really there. Anything your body can do can be a symptom of anxiety. Especially those embarrassing ones too. Oh yeah. Like the, oh yeah. The burping, farting. <laughs> yeah. Or as I like to call them the anxiety poops. Yes. You have the example. <laughs> yes. yes. That was one thing was that Maggie and I often punctuate our panic attacks with a little gas. So I know <laughs> I know that my panic attack is starting when I start to burp, and Maggie's when she burps, she's ending. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you could just bookend it. There you exactly. go. Thank you. Yes. Anyway, your anxiety can humiliate you a little bit in public. You know, that's a pretty good Absolutely. Thing. Or when so you teeth bash What about headbangers? Now, you talk about them like they catastrophize everything. So if it's a problem, it's the end of the world. Can you talk right. a little bit about the anxiety created through that, thinking worst case scenario? Well, we're... Well, the headbangers are slightly different in that they are what the headbangers are are those 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 symptoms that make you want to bang your head against the wall because you feel like I must be going crazy, right? And so, you know, that is like things like feeling like you're going to die when you're having a panic attack, like being sure that you're going to die. And that is a symptom of a panic attack. That, that certainty you're going to die or that idea that you're sort of floating outside your body. Like you don't quite feel like inside your body because anxiety is so discombobulating. It's such a discombobulating feeling. And so sometimes we, we're almost like um, ghosts, you know, that the movie ghosts, like where they're sort of like floating above. That's how anxiety can feel is like, and so that alone makes people feel like I must be just like having a nervous breakdown. I must be going crazy right now. The catastrophizing is very much a headbanger. It is. Yeah. Catastrophizing is one of the most common symptoms of anxiety. I mean, and all of us do it to a certain extent, right? There's, you know, we all do a little bit of the what ifs, but anxiety sisters tend to take the what ifs to the extreme. So for instance, you know, uh, Maggie's son would sneeze in the morning and she would call me up and she would say, oh my God, what if it's meningitis? That's an example of catastrophizing. And, and that is, I mean, it can definitely make you feel like you want to bang your head against the wall because you can get stuck in it obsessively and only be able to think about this worst case scenario that's going to happen. So we definitely talk a lot about managing catastrophizing in our book because that is a huge part of the anxiety experience. And that can be very debilitating if all you can think about is the worst thing that's going to happen. And then finally, you talk about the illusionists, the hyper control people. I don't know anyone like that, right, Bridget? I don't have control issues at all. No, neither does Abby. Neither does Abby. Bridget's not laughing in the background. <laughs> oh, no, I, but I get what you mean. And yours is, looks different than mine, like my control. And I think it was one of your podcast I was listening to on the spin cycle. Is that what it's the spin <laughs> yes. cycle with the anxiety sisters about you had a doctor, a psychiatrist on that also suffered from anxiety. And I'm like, oh, that is so me. Um, even though I told Abby beforehand, I didn't meet the little criteria of being an anxiety sister because the checkout line doesn't bother me at the grocery. <laughs> and I think there was one more, but like a bear and a snake or something outside yeah, that yeah. would scare me. But I I do these like things like ritual, like I worry. 
like he said, your kid gets their driver's license. I'm the type that worries, okay, my kid is driving back from here. So, but if I don't worry, something bad's going to happen. Right. But I have to worry to prevent something bad from happening. So that's yes. And what you're referring to, it actually gives you a sense of control, right? Your brain is looking for it because you don't, you can't control what your son is doing on the road. But if you can give yourself the illusion that you can by worrying about it, that will actually help soothe some of that anxiety for control. I mean, control people. <laughs> I was going to say control freaks like me. Well, I think the key is it helps soothe anxiety sometimes temporarily. In the long run, for some of us, it makes anxiety grow um, in terms of doing those like worries and those rituals, right? Um, in the long term for a lot of us, because it, it makes our anxiety, it's like we're paying a lot of attention to it and it starts to get bigger from that. But in the short term, it feels very soothing. Mm, absolutely. Another interesting thing that I read in your book and I want to talk a little bit about is what you consider the second brain, which is your gut. Mm. I was not aware that 95% of your serotonin is stored there. I thought it was in your brain. Like you think serotonin, you think brain levels. But that was like an aha moment for me, not to, Mm. you know, quote Oprah. But the fact that 95% (laughs) of your serotonin is located in your gut explains a lot of why a lot of us have gut issues. Can you guys talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that? Abby, why don't you start? Okay. So I wish that we could take credit for the second brain, but we can't. That's actually science. Um, There's a new field relatively called neurogastroenterology, which is all about the connection between your upstairs brain and your head and your brain that's in your gut or your, they call it the enteric nervous system versus your central nervous system. So those, you have two brains, you have your brain and your head and your brain and your belly, and they're connected via a nerve called the vagus nerve. And that's how they communicate with one another. And communication goes two ways. So what's really interesting is that now doctors and, and particularly in the, in the psychology field are starting to realize that a lot of our psychological symptoms such as anxiety, depression, et cetera, they actually can start in your gut. And so there's the there's a whole field of research now in the last 20 years that's really focused on determining how that's connected. And those of us who get stomach symptoms when we have anxiety really can understand, right, the concept of anxious stomach or butterflies in your stomach. It can begin right there. And so, yes, when people find out that serotonin, which is one of our feel-good neurotransmitters that you know, that, that we use to feel good in our head and that, that, um, are the target of drug therapy for antidepressants actually is made and lives mostly in your gut. So, um, so that's what the second brain is all about. Another topic that you guys talk about in the book, Maggie, is the happy society, like how you label what you consider happiness. And it's Mm -hmm. so different for each person, but can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think in general, um, yeah, happiness is is different for each person, of course. But in general, we definitely live in a culture where if if you are not happy, fake it till you make it or just do it. If you are not happy, there is something wrong with you, right? That um, if you could only get up and exercise or eat better or whatever the latest and greatest thing is, you know, that will help you find happiness. And of course, a lot of happiness supposedly is found through, you know, material, material things, you know, what, whatever it is, I think that there's a real culture of 
blame and shame, particularly when it comes to types of brain illnesses like anxiety, depression, um, uh, because there's this real feeling like that it's about your will to be happy or to become rather than um, rather than it being something that is really happening in your body, in your in your brain and in your stomach. You know, anxiety is really happening in your body. And so I think that there's there's this sort of sense that people are responsible if they're if they're really struggling with mental illness. It's not, it's not, you know, we always say like if you break your leg, everyone is gonna help you kind of get onto the elevator, right? And they're gonna carry your bag. You know, what happens when you can't leave your house because you're so anxious or you know, you're just having a really terrible day or you can't go somewhere because you're anxious. It's like people tend to blame you, you know, and I think the reverse of that is that this whole idea that happiness is something that you can just decide to have or buy or, um, you know, and that and so that if you're not that there's a problem. Like you say in the book, you can't take a blood test or an x-ray to see if you have an anxiety issue. Um, you can't do that. So it's very hard to diagnose what's going on. But go, go right. ahead, Abby. I was going to say that another thing that Mags and I talk about quite a bit in the book and in our workshops is that, you know, people are under the misimpression that, you know, there's sort of a short line from A to B. And A is here and B is happiness. And you just sort of cruise along on this problem-free C and then you get to happiness. It's like this destination. And our media does a wonderful job of reinforcing that, I think. And, you know, in terms of the movies that we see and, the and you know, it's almost like we're a quick fix culture, right? Things are easy to fix. And if you have a problem, that's on you because there's a quick fix for it. There's a solution. So you better get with that three-step program so that you can solve your problem. And so people think that, oh, I'm not solving my problems. And by the way, I have problems, so I must not be happy. And especially with social media like Facebook, I mean, honestly, if I spend too much time on Facebook, I could believe that I'm not happy because everybody else looks much happier. I mean, they're all traveling and remodeling their houses and their children are winning every award. And here I am sitting in, you know, a pile of laundry in my house, you know, eating milk duds. So it's like, I'm sitting here, well, I guess I'm not happy, but that's not true. And what Maggie and I talk about in our book is that if you can have agency in your life, meaning you're controlling your own decisions, if you have acceptance of your circumstances, and if you feel connected to at least one other thing in this world, whether it be an, a pet or an, a human, then you already have the three components of happiness. You don't have to buy it, and you don't have to worry about fixing your problems in three steps. That's something that will take, you can take a lifetime to work on your problems, and working on them can very much be part of a happy life. I think that leads us into a discussion of what you call the shrinking world syndrome. Mm. And for women who have anxiety, and that's so many of us, I mean, at some point in time, I think most people experience some level of anxiety. But like you were saying, if your world does not look happy, you tend to shrink away from what the outside world, even though it's it's a false narrative. Yes. Outside world to be. And your world starts to shrink, which actually can be can counteract help with anxiety. It's going to increase your anxiety because you're shrinking mm -hmm. your world around. So the first thing you guys kind of talk about in your, your foundation for healing that is riding the wave. So mm -hmm. Maggie, can you talk about riding the wave? 
Sure, sure. So the whole idea that we say, um, I think Ab started with this, but the whole idea is that when we have anxiety, um, panic, or any type of anxiety, it's so uncomfortable, right? It feels miserable physically, emotionally, in every way. So what do we want to do when something feels terrible? We want to stop it. That's that's you know what most of us want to do is stop feeling terrible. But in the case with anxiety, is uh, we've learned that you know what we pay attention to grows, and so that what we really need to do is figure out how to sort of ride this wave, how to sort of accept the anxiety, accept the discomfort, and know that it's a feeling that will pass, just like all our other feelings pass, right? No feeling stays forever. Even though anxiety feels like it's going to stay forever, it won't. So riding the wave is really about finding ways to accept your anxiety. And in our book, we sort of say, we don't expect anyone just to sit and say, hey, I'm just riding the wave. I'm, I'm going to be okay with the, my anxiety. We have real techniques to help you ride the wave, to help you get through. Yes. Kristen Bell recently talked about that as well. And she had, I'm paraphrasing a quote, but basically acknowledging that the feeling is not your feeling. It's a feeling that has entered you and you can just kind of acknowledge it and let it pass through and leave. Like you don't have to absorb it into your body. So that's kind of sounds right. well, like what you're saying. Yes, definitely. It's like, well, all feelings pass, right? I mean, you know, one of the things we always say when we're very anxious is this too shall pass. That's sort of a mantra we have. And that's the acknowledgement. Happy feelings pass, you know, sad feelings pass, anxious feelings pass, all feelings pass. And but we also know that with anxiety, they could stay a while. So you do need some strategies to help you get through. So we're not just saying like, oh, just grin and bear it till it passes. Did you also mention in the book a lot of, you know, the physical things that happen to you when you feel yes. anxious? And, and it goes back to the, the fight or flight. Um, do yes. you mind, Abby, just talking a little bit about how you mentioned the fight and flight and how you can freeze? You know, there's those oh. different reactions. Sure. Well, so... The quick explanation is that we all have two different responses in our nervous system. In our nervous system, we have the sympathetic response, which is our stress response. That's the fight, flight, or freeze. So, if you think about it evolutionarily, when we were cave people and we were being pursued by a saber-toothed tiger, whatever our bodies would do in preparation for either to fight the tiger or run like heck away from the tiger, or if we were too late and the tiger was on top of us to freeze and play dead, so hopefully the tiger would sniff us and go away, all those reactions, that's the sympathetic response. So that's what we call fight, fight, or freeze. And that could be you know, the, heart, the rapid heart rate, the flushing, the sweatiness, the dizziness, all the things that happen when your body's geared up and revved up. The second response that our body has is called the parasympathetic response, and that's the peaceful rest and digest response. And so all the things that our body does in that response are in reaction to not having any threats. So that's when our digestion can move along nicely because we're relaxed. We can take a little nap and everything kind of cools down. So our whole scientific approach here, and it's not ours personally, it's, it's the science world's approach, is to try to get from that sympathetic stress response to the parasympathetic peace response. And the quickest, cheapest, easiest way to do that is through the breath. Because if you can take a long, deep, slow breath all the way into your diaphragm, your body's going to, your brain's going to say, oh, well, if we can breathe deeply, we must not be in any rush. 
So we must not be being chased by anything and we must not be in a hurry to, to fight anybody. So let's just chill out. And taking the, you know, I was told to box breathe. So you inhale for four, you hold yes. for four, you exhale. But it really is, you could do six, seven, eight, 12, four, whatever you well, don't do 12, right. you pass out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> don't, don't do 12. But it is a question of if you're connecting that breath to something, people can understand why they're telling you to breathe. It makes sense now. It's not just right. like a platitude that someone says to you, just breathe, you'll be fine. And, and by the way, well, lots of anxiety sisters are hyperventilators. And so those, those people breathing is not going to help them no matter what you count to. So we offer lots of other things that can get you from sympathetic to parasympathetic. I mean, the truth is meditation brings you right into parasympathetic or talking to yourself out loud in a soothing tone, saying to yourself, you're okay. You're going to get through this. This too shall pass. Just your brain hearing your own voice saying that can bring you right into the parasympathetic. There's cooling down. Putting a cool cloth around your neck can bring you into the parasympathetic. So it's not just the breathing, even though that's the quickest, easiest, you know, for most people that does the trick. But we definitely have hyperventilators who, you know. I'm definitely a hyperventilator. You know, when I was really having a lot of panic, I would hyperventilate. So someone saying to me, just breathe was like saying, just hyperventilate. (laughs) Um, But it's something that that you can also practice stuff like things like breathing and meditation. You practice when you're not in such a heightened state. And then it's something that because you've practiced it, you can, you can utilize it um, when you are in a heightened state more. Like different things, we say different, one size doesn't fit all, different things work, and different things work on different days. That's <laughs> such an important point because not everything mm-hmm. will work every time you have. And I guess, can you talk about, I think people get confused sometimes with anxiety and panic attacks. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about the difference between those two? So anxiety is sort of the umbrella, right? Anxiety is sort of that whole fight or flight or freeze thing going on. And panic is a a particular type of anxiety in the sense that it's acute. It's often accompanied by those cardiac or sharp stomach symptoms or, you know, something very emergent and often with that feeling of doom. Like, oh my God, I am going to die. It's a panic attack. Believe me, if you have it, you know you're having it because you want to go to the emergency room. And some of us have gone. And I did. And I did. Many, many, many times. Uh, I've been there, I hate to say. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how many times I've been to the ER. But it got to the point where the, the last time I went into the ER, the, the emergency room uh, attendant recognized me and said, it's anxiety, go home. <laughs> But no, but panic is very frightening because it, it doesn't feel like panic. It feels like your body is dying. So that, so panic is a type of anxiety. And what would you suggest if someone's actually starting a panic attack to do as far as is the, is the breathing really going to be enough to get you to lessen a panic attack? It depends on the person, you know, it depends on the person and what works for them. For some people breathing, particularly if you've practiced, like you said, um, someone taught you box breathing, particularly if you've practiced breathing for some people, that's going to be really helpful. Um, we also, as Abby said, we tell people to do TLC, which is talk to yourself, maybe a mantra that you have like this too shall pass. I'm going to be okay. Loosen all, we always say loosen all constraints, which is for most of us, when we're panicking, we start to feel very claustrophobic. So, you know, 
get as naked as you appropriately can. That's what Abby says, <laughs> depending on where you are. You know, get so an airplane would not be the place to start. Well, you, probably, you, can do, yeah. you can do things. You can get all your jewelry off, your hair off, um, depending Take off on, your bra. You can do the yeah. bra. Yes. bra uh, unconstrained. Yeah, things that are constrained. Tight, tight waist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's why you need an anxiety wardrobe. But yes, there's, there's definitely um, unconstrain yourself. And then when you try to cool down, when you say put cold water on your wrists or put an ice pack on your neck, you are telling your body we're, we're actually not revved up. We're not in fight or flight. We're, we're in rest and digest. We don't have to be, we don't have to be running away from a saber-toothed tiger, um, so cooling down gives your brain the signal that we're going to be okay. You know, you're going to be okay. You're fine. So there's that. And then we also, I don't know if you want us to talk about more ideas, but we also have an idea of a spin kit that abs, do you want to talk about our spin kits? Okay. I'll try to, I'll try to be brief. A spin kit is basically okay. a, first, as a first aid kit for anxiety. And we call it a spin kit because when Mags and I hear the word panic, we think it's a command. So, so we like to replace the word panic with spinning because we feel like that's an apt metaphor for what having a panic attack feels like. It's sort of like being in the spin cycle of your washing machine. Um, so a spin kit is, like I said, a portable first aid kit for anxiety. And it's something you would take with you wherever you go, much in the same way if you have an allergy, you might carry an EpiPen. So you would carry a spin kit. And in the spin kit, you would have all kinds of things to distract you while you're riding the wave. You would have symptom relief. If let's just say you're having gas, you could have gas X in your spin kit um, and, and soothing things for your senses, such as, you know, mints you could suck on or Mags always carries her crochet to kind of distract her a bit from the anxiety. She can just, you know, work with the needles. But really, you know, everybody's spin kit will be different. So our whole idea is that um, if you know you're a panic sister, prepare for panic. Yes. And your spin kit is what helps you prepare to have the things you need with you. You talk a lot also about sensory overload. Yes. Oh, and my yes. spin kit would have earplugs and a uh, eye mask. mask. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I, and I noticed, yeah. you know, I, I, even though I said certain things in that little list, there are times where I physically will react to something. And I do know that I personally have sensory um, issues. Yes. You talk in the book also about medications. And I think sometimes medications get a, a bum rap because, right. you know, people are like, oh, just take a med and fix it. And it's not just about right. taking the medication and all of a sudden you're happy, happy and perfect. So can you right. guys talk a little bit about your take on medications? Well, wouldn't it be so nice if it did work that way? Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that it's a trial and error. You have to yes. take, sometimes you're lucky and the first medication works, but most times you have to try and then try again. So can you guys talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Okay. Well, I'll start by saying that both Mags and I take medication and have for many, many years. Um, we take SSRIs and we as uh, the head of the Anxiety Sisterhood, really have to deal with sort of the questions around medication. It becomes a very controversial topic sometimes because there are people who feel very strongly that you should not use medication to manage anxiety, and then there's people who feel the other way. And what Mags and I always say to people is that we are not, um, we are not pro-Big Pharma. We are against anxiety running your life. If Big Pharma helps you run your own life, puts you in the driver's seat so that your anxiety doesn't make the choices for you, 
thumbs up, then we're in. And that's, that's sort of, you know, we really, there's a lot of stigma and shame around medication and mags and I do not subscribe to it at all. We believe that anxiety is a brain disorder and requires for many people requires medication just in the same way that you would take medication for diabetes or hypertension. You know, my husband doesn't feel ashamed for taking blood pressure medication or cholesterol medication. Why should anyone feel ashamed for taking anxiety medication? It's also, you know, you were asking about the trial and error of medication. And um, one of the things we talk about a lot is that Unfortunately, a lot of us don't have access to great psychiatrists, and I don't care, you know, what your insurance is, or, but, but a lot of us have trouble finding great psychiatrists, and often the people giving us medication are our internists, and they may or may not know a lot about anxiety medication. Um, so, you know, one of the things we do is we have questions for your prescriber that if you are getting medication, take in our questions um, because there's things you really need to know before you take your medication, you know, and so we, we really urge people to take in a bunch of questions and also that there's a um, new field of pharmacogenetics that's helping some people who have trouble finding medications, um, do genetic tests that sort of, they're basically testing your liver and how fast it metabolizes medications or slow it metabolizes medications. And those can be very, very helpful in finding not the right medication, but the wrong medication for certain people, like medications that will have a lot of side effects. It, it will work for a certain percentage of people because it, it works for people with very fast or slow livers. 70% of us have sort of normal livers and the genetic test isn't going to tell us much, but we don't know that till we take the genetic test. But what the, for the people, the 30% with faster, slow livers, it is going to give you some idea of what medications you should not take or whether you need a higher dose of a particular medication. And it's, and it's tell you that so the, tests, the tests are, are covered by insurance. Um, if you pay out of pocket, I think it's about $300 and it's completely non-invasive. It's just taking a, a Q-tip and swabbing your cheek. So it's not like it's a, a dangerous or scary test. It's, it's really a worthwhile thing. Mags and I did a podcast about it and talked to some of the people involved in the technology. It was really fascinating. Wow. That is fascinating. Um, I was just, when I was reading your book, just little things I picked up here and there. And something that really stood out was that today's high schoolers have the same anxiety level as 1950s psychiatric patients. Can you just talk a little bit? I know that this world has gotten much more fast paced, like every year it does. I mean, Kid, I don't know if there are any advice because I, yeah. I can imagine high school students are feeling a lot of anxiety right now. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of workshops for that age group, I have to say, um, work a lot with that age group. Um, you know, they're never surprised so by that slide, right, Mags? We put that up there in the beginning. Yeah. The, the Robert Leahy quote that says the, the average yeah. psychiatric patient had, you know, was considered less anxious than our current crop of high school mm -hmm. students, we put it up there and we say to them, what do you say to that? And they're all say, oh yeah, hundred percent. They agree. Oh, I, I was shocked, but I get it. You know, I understand how that yeah. is the case. Well, they have, there, there's so many different reasons why, you know, of course, adolescents are anxious from, from things happening in individual families and communities, you know, because 
socioeconomic stress definitely affects them too. Um, to, to, of course, the obvious social media effects, because we, you know, the more we're learning about social media for adults too, but particularly, then you look at an adolescent brain, which is different than an adult brain. Social media has a lot of effects for them. And, and there've been study after study shows that it's making kids more anxious and more depressed. Um, that's not, that's not it alone, but that is one of the factors. Um, their brains are different than ours. And we always say this to parents time and time again, that their frontal lobe, the front part of their brains, which is sort of where a lot of your reasoning and impulse control is, right? That is not, um, that does not fully develop till you're 25, at that least. is not as developed. At, at, at least, yeah, I agree. At least yeah. <laughs> Adolescents are not just little, you know, they're not just younger adults. And that has implications, you know, that impulse control and decision-making has a lot of implications for anxiety and for, you know, what you do with your anxiety. It has implications for addictions and how easy it is to get addicted. Their brains are at a different point than we are, than our brains are. You know, and, and, they're, um, and the, the wiring is a little bit disconnected yeah. for quite some time. The Wi-Fi is not up to date. Wi-Fi is spotty in there. Yeah. So it can explain why, you know, we think back to our childhoods to when I was, uh, you know, in my teens and 20s. And I think about some of the absolutely stupid things that I did. Mm-hmm. That explains it. It's, yes. But there's no proof. There's no proof. And now... My executive function just wasn't fully wired to my limbic system. So, you know, it, it actually yeah. helps to talk to your kids about that. I mean... About it. Yeah. 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 I think I there's... That, I think that's a great, and that's included in your book. You have everything in there about, the, you know, you have so much about the brain in there that was, yeah. I could talk forever about it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really helpful also as a, I am a parent of two teenagers, right? And um, Good luck. It's really, <laughs> help, um, it's really helpful for me to remember that just as a parent that, um, there are times where, you know, you were talking about driving before and you're not comfortable till your child's home. I mean, there are times where we may give an instruction or a or a privilege to a, to someone in adolescence. I hate the word privilege, but we may allow them to do something or and give them an instruction around it and just think that they're absorbing it in the exact same way that we would absorb it, right? And that is not the case. So it's very helpful as a parent to remind ourselves, you know, we may, we may need to emphasize things in different ways, you know, and reinforce them in different ways than we would for an adult. And we always tell parents, tell your children that their brains are not yet fully hooked up and either are their friends. So if they are looking yes. for very sound advice in a particularly precarious situation, pick someone over 25 to give them point. great <laughs> advice. That is such good advice. Yes. Yeah. 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 Of course, my son would take advantage of this and come home. And after he would do something ridiculous and I would say, what were you thinking? He goes, my mom, my brain, it's not connected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Double-edged sword yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. We, we talk about the fact that perimenopause one of the symptoms can be anxiety that women have not mm-hmm. experienced before, or if they have experienced it, it's now exacerbated. So Absolutely. if you're starting to notice that, and it's not talked about, it's not one of the mm-hmm. symptoms, you know, mm-hmm. hot flashes all day long. You can talk about them. No one gives it. But if you talk about the fact that all of a sudden I'm feeling anxious or more anxious than I normally am, 
what would you guys suggest for women to do to kind of go further into what's going on with me? What we know is that hormones, which are basically your body's chemical cruise directors, hormones, when they are out of whack or out of balance, we know that directly causes anxiety. That's, that's something that's known, proven in, in science. And so it stands that for people in various stages of hormonal flux, that anxiety and depression would be exacerbated. For instance, uh, puberty. So if you're wondering why your teenager might be a bit moodier than he or she used to be, because hormones are all going crazy. Hormones are out of whack. Uh, same thing for, for pregnancy, postpartum, and then, of course, menopause. It's just a party for us. <laughs> a jackpot. So, yes, we, we have, I would say, a huge um, a number of anxiety sisters coming to us saying, I have never experienced anxiety before, and I'm going through menopause. And I, my, I told my doctor about it, and he said that it's not related. So first of all, yes, it is related, 100%. That when your hormones, progesterone, estrogen particularly, when they're in flux and they're not in balance, you, you absolutely must expect there to be psychological symptoms such as anxiety or depression or both or moodiness. A lot of us, you know, we change our mood so fast. And it, it, that happened to me when I was going through menopause. So that, you know, my husband said I was like the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> and he said to see that he, it was entertaining to just sit there and watch me spin around the house. Um, but anyway, so yes, if you are going through menopause, then yes, anxiety and depression are absolutely symptoms of that. And given that, yes, there are things you can do about it. Absolutely. Everything from, for some people, medication really, really helps. I started my medication when I was in menopause. And it really took away some of those awful fight or flight symptoms that were just cropping up and making my, my days impossible. I was having panic attack after panic attack. Um, so uh, I took a medication short term for that until I sort of got through the wave of menopause. And then I was able to go off that particular medicine because those symptoms had passed. Another, And then, of course, we have a million techniques. You know, Mags and I say that with anxiety, a bag of tricks is not enough. You need a whole arsenal of strategies. I would say the thing that helped me the most was meditation. And mm -hmm. I did not believe in it. I said, oh, that's so woo-woo. I don't want to hear about that, you know, sitting there like, oh, you know, it, it had no appeal to me whatsoever. Um, and I have to tell you, I am a believer. All, all your systems start to relax and say, oh, okay, we can just sit, if we can sit calmly like this and not be running anywhere or trying to think about anything so much, then wow, we must be in a safe place. We can relax. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to us about the Anxiety Sisters and your book, The Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide. We really appreciate it because a lot of women oh. just feel alone. You know, they feel isolated yes. and they think something this I'm the only one experiencing this and it's not the case. So it, it definitely is a great assistance for people to go out and check this out. And we, we recommend that they do that. So thank you guys so much for coming on, Abby and Maggie. Thank you for having us. We really love you. Yeah. And um, I've, yeah. I've learned a lot from your podcast. because I Oh, also thank to you. Thank you. We want to thank Abby and Maggie so much for being on the show. This has been so helpful. I feel like it has. And like I said, I didn't even consider myself an anxiety sister. I said maybe I was an anxiety cousin. Um, I could be calling Dab her designated. She can anxiety. be. She's my, yes. new, she's my new Dab. <laughs> 
But I definitely have those feelings at times. I definitely do. In don't different you think situations. most people do? Very few yes, people like don't they said. Stuff. Yeah, that's your your system of survival. It was built in us as humans to have these little different things that tell us. And it's just been so interesting. So look for the Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide, how you can become more hopeful, connected, and happy by Abby Greenberg and Maggie Sarachek. And also make sure you catch their podcast, uh, The Spin Cycle with the Anxiety Sisters. And you and might recognize some guests coming up. Yeah, in you might, hopefully, yes. And also don't forget to check out our uh, podcast, which you're already doing if you're listening to this hot flashes of cool topics. If you have any topic that you think would be something great to cover, please let us know. You can send us an email, hotflasheskooltopics at gmail.com. And you can also just message us if you want on one of our social media pages. We have a Facebook group. Uh, We also have a Facebook page. We are on Instagram. We are on TikTok now. We're on Twitter. We're exhausted. We're exhausted. (laughs) We're on LinkedIn. And it, it makes me anxious that we have all those know it <laughs> we're getting there we're getting there we're, uh we have a pinterest board we um have subs share some youtube videos so just check us out on all of those sites thanks so much for listening have a great week bye